Staff Podcasts. A warning, this podcast contains references to subjects and discussions that could be hard for some people to hear. So please take care when you're listening. I've worked at newspapers where they put stuff on the front that people didn't like and had like a hundred people cancel their subscriptions. And next minute you're just like dropping C-bombs and it's fine. Yeah, I know, right? Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Welcome to Tell Me About It, the podcast where we will definitely see you next Tuesday. I'm Noelle McCarthy. I'm Michelle Duff. And I'm Kirsty Johnston. Okay, first things first, we are talking about the C word today and we are going to try our very best not to say it out loud. Except if we do say because you never know, it might just slip out. You're going to hear that noise that you just heard because Michelle said. Okay, look, I'm just going to say it a bunch of times and get it out of the way. So just. Are you done? Yeah, it was quite cathartic. Thanks. Look, I feel like we've used up our quota for the first 30 (laughs) seconds of this podcast. We only had six. So oh, it was good. Let's life. move good. let's move on to I it actually is cathartic. You're right. I feel that. Uh so what are we actually talking about today, Kirsty? Sorry, Michelle. Yes, we are talking about the decision, the recent decision by the Dominion Post editor Anna Fifield to put the C word on the front page of the newspaper in a story about the escalating amount of misogynist, misogynistic? It's a hard word, that one. Misogynist mm-hmm. abuse directed at women in local government. Yeah, and when you say, Kirsty, put the C word on the front page, we mean put it all on the front page, all four letters. It was spelt out. They didn't use asterisks. It was the whole word, see you next Tuesday. I feel like I need to spell out why this is so significant. I never thought I would see the day when that word was in a story, let alone on the front page. I mean, newspapers have really strict rules and culture and style guides developed over time about language and its use. Yeah, like there's that old adage, right, Michelle? You don't want the readers choking on their cornflakes while they're reading the paper in the morning. (laughs) Who's still eating cornflakes? (laughs) I don't know. Wheat bix cornflakes. The people that read the newspaper are still eating. Eating cereal, yeah. I mean, you do want them like... You kind of do want them choking on their cornies, but about, like, the content of your story, not because you've used a bad word. Right. So in certain cases, the word itself might distract from the reporting or just horrify people. And the C word is definitely, I think we can all agree, a cornflake spitter. If you didn't know it was coming, right? If it's just there on the front page of your Dom post in the morning. But the editor, um, Anna Fifield, explicitly explained next to the story why she decided to, um, to print the word. And she's going to go through that with us when she joins us shortly. Right, Kirsty? Yeah, so to put it in context, the first person interviewed in that story was Anita Baker, who's the mayor of Parirua, and she said that she'd never been called the C-word before she was elected into public office, and now it happens all the time. Yeah, so just to back up a a little bit, so the the story with Anita Baker came after a reporter at the Christchurch Press, Tina Law, did a story about Christchurch MP Sarah Templeton. So Sarah had been getting trolled in a really misogynistic way by an anonymous account. And 
She wanted to find out who it was, so she went to court to find out, and during the case, she found that the real identity of this person who was abusing her was a member of the Young Nats. Outrageous. Yeah, that that was an incredible story, you know, like an amazing thing that Sarah Templeton did. And then you've got the Don Post, right, building on that work, don't you, Michelle? Like two of their reporters in this story that we're going to talk to Anna Fifield about, Bridie Whitten and Erin Gourley, they've been writing stories about the abuse of local Wellington politicians. And then there was another story about the Minister for Women, Jan Tanetti, and what she's expecting to get in the upcoming by-election in Tauranga, in your role, Kirsty. Yeah, I think that's going to be pretty hectic to be honest it's already kind of started to rear its head and I think what Jan was saying in that story is that you know she's already experiencing it and she thinks like everything it's only going to get worse. I think the thing to note here is that you know it feels like a deliberate decision by uh, the editor of the Dominion Post Anna Fifield to keep the spotlight on this issue of misogyny and abuse towards women in public office. Yeah, because Anna um, Anna encouraged you as well, right, Michelle, to bring forward a story that you were doing about the rise of misogyny just to make sure that, the I guess, the focus didn't go off. And, and your story said um, that mm. the level of abuse directed at the Prime Minister was actually a threat to national security because it's so extreme. And in that way, it's been, like, monitored by spies and the police. Um, and then the Dominion Post also put that story on the front page. Yes, such a big story, Michelle, such an important story that you put out recently. And I think the framing of that was really important as well, you know, like that this is actually a threat to national security. It's not just women being called names. Do the two of you reckon that this is getting worse? You know, this sort of targeted abuse of women. Do you see that in your work? What do you think, Kirsty? Yeah, um, I haven't done as much reporting on it as Michelle because I've been writing about the misinformation space and not like the misogynist abuse specifically but I'm in following like the so-called freedom movement and its members you can see that misogyny is like a massive part of their belief system and kind of part of what they use to see discord and dissent you know which is what they're doing they're trying to kind of undermine democracy effectively by spreading all this hate and you know, creating, um, actually a guy that I interviewed recently summed it up really well. He said, making little cracks for the Nazis to get in. It's just horrifying. Just, you know, I'm just going to have a little shiver here for a moment. But yeah, that that's absolutely what happens. But what also happens as a result of that is that it gets normalised, you know. It, it, it makes it sort of so that the political discourse shifts and so this kind of language and this, this abuse and these violent sort of online attacks, they, they happen, they sort of move across to, you know, Facebook and Twitter and social media and then, you know, people like the young Nat, you know, feels like it's okay to start doing this. So, yeah, and what it is, I mean, if we understand misogyny as being, you know, the attempts to control and punish women, then I think we can see that it has like a real danger of, you know, pushing people out of, from being in the public eye, and that's what it's aiming to do. Can I just say that even literally while we've been talking, I just got a text from somebody working in the disinformation space saying, like, checking in on me because they said my name's now on a list going around all of these spaces because of the story I wrote at the weekend. Like, that's how rapid it is. They just want to, like, I guess, frighten, do we think, intimidate women yeah, out of being silence. in public life. Mm-hmm. How does that make both of you feel? Like you've both experienced this sort of thing recently. 
Yeah, it's pretty gross. I mean, it makes you feel. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's a really. You know, you don't want them to win. Basically, I feel like I go through kind of swings and roundabouts of being just really demoralized, and then kind of you know feeling like this is something that actually we t- really need to push back against. What about you, Kirsty? Well, I just think I find it really disturbing. Like, how have people got to this point where, like Michelle said, this is normal to to behave in this way? Like, I, I that's what I want to keep reporting on. To be honest, like the drivers of like why behavior, you know, has got has got so extreme. I think that's I think it's one of the most interesting parts of the whole sphere how it sort of shifts in real time. So we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this abuse that in this case, in this story, it was local body politicians, women in local body politics um, are getting. And we'll talk with the editor who made the decision to print the C word in the Dominion Post of a weekend. Anna Fifield is here with us. Good morning, Anna. Kia ora Noelle and Michelle and Kirsty. So Anna, what I'm really interested in is like, when did you make that decision to run the entire C word on the front page? Yeah, it was quite late on the Friday night and that, uh, you know, the story had come through and one of our newest young reporters had written that as uh, written the intro with the C word asterisked out. Um, but I already thought that was a really powerful intro anyway and way into way to grab the reader's attention and immediately make them feel what uh, what they were dealing with, what we were dealing with. And so then I was just reading it, looking at it. I don't like the dot, dot, dot in an intro anyway. And I thought reflecting on the moment, uh, you know, the week that we'd had with the um, women, Sarah Templeton and Christchurch, challenging their trolls and just like, and my own concerns about the trolling of young journalists in our newsroom, it just felt to me that it was right, uh, the timing was right to do that, and also that it it is shocking and we needed to shock people and confront them with what women are facing every day. So it was a big decision to not only write the word out in full, but in the first paragraph of the lead story on the front page of our biggest edition. Um, But I I did talk to a number of people in the newsroom and canvass their opinion, especially the young women in our team. And they were all, all the young women were for it. There were some people who thought that it was too much. But in the end, I just, I went with my gut, uh, as these decisions so often are. And I thought it's the right thing to do at this moment in time. I mean, it was really nerve-wracking. I thought, you know, uh, of course, I mean, the newspaper readers in particular tend older. So I was really conscious that this, I mean, this is confronting for me. I don't say this word or hadn't until last week. And now I'm going through a bit of a feminist transformation and reclaiming (laughs) the word. Go, Anna. (laughs) But until that moment, I'd never said that word. So I thought, you know, this is really shocking if you're you know, a 75-year-old reader and why can I? How are you going to feel when you read that in the morning? But more to the point, I know lots of kids who do the kids' quiz and uh, and, and sometimes even read the paper. Um, and I was thinking a lot about is what is this going to do to a, a family or a kid that picks this up in the morning and sees this word on the front page? But even taking all of those things into consideration uh, and being conscious that it might actually result in cancellations of the newspaper 
paper if some people were offended. I um, I still thought that the moment was right and that people needed to be aware of just how venomous the language has become and just how shocking it is. And, and the fact that, you know, women in public office, women journalists, anybody, any woman who deigns to speak in a public sphere doesn't have the luxury of asterisks or dot, dot, dots when she's checking her email or her Instagram messages at 10 o'clock at night or what have you. So I just felt like I was not going to shield the public from the kind of abuse that women have no such choice over receiving or not receiving. They don't have the luxury of that kind of censorship. So so it was really that that in the end made me go ahead with, with printing it in full. And what an opening line. You know, Anita Baker had never been called the C word before she became mayor of Porirua. Like, as you say, Anna, it really sums up what the story is getting at, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that was all the work of uh, Erin Gawley, who joined us at the beginning of this year. She was the editor of Critic at Otago last year. And I think, I mean, I'm always saying to my team, you know, you're bringing your whole selves to work. You're bringing your lived experiences to work. And so I felt that was there was a lot of power in that intro anyway, and that a young woman who's been on the receiving end of lots of these kinds of remarks wrote that as the intro. And she followed our style, which is, of course, not to write the uh, words out in full, but to dot, dot, dot them. Um, so she did everything right. And, you know, she used her lived experience to write that intro. But it, so I was the one as the editor who took that and ran with it. And, and I talked to Erin about whether we would spell it out. And then once I'd made the decision to spell it out, I did um, let both Erin and Bridie Witten, who was also involved in writing the story, know that I'd done that because I was really conscious of the fact that that would open them up potentially to more abuse from uh, readers. And I also let Anita Baker know that we were going to spell it out just so they had a heads up um, because as so as often, as you know, all of you know from your own reporting, when women are brave enough to speak out and call out this kind of behaviour, it often results in a, a torrent of even more abuse. And Anna, you mentioned young journalists or and women journalists within the newsroom having to be subject to this kind of abuse as well. Is this something that, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And is that something that has been sort of increasing in the time, well, in the last few months and, and since you've been in journalism? Yeah, so I um, I feel really lucky that when I was a journalist in my 20s, there was no social media or it was just the beginning of Twitter and things. Like I'm now 46 years old. Um, I'm not a frontline reporter anymore. I still get quite a lot of abuse and I have got lots of abuse over the years, especially when I was in China for an American news organisation during the Trump administration. That was pretty ugly. But it is nothing like the um, vileness and the volume of emails that and messages that young, particularly female, uh, especially young women reporters of colour, the kind of abuse that they get constantly. Um, so it's a whole different dimension from anything I have ever experienced. And yes, it ramped up a lot during the occupation of Parliament. Um, and in general, since the um, emergence of this kind of very small fringe group of people who are, you know, who have been in Wellington on protests calling out media treason and calling for us to be hung and Nuremberg trials and this kind of stuff. But it's really directed at young female and other diverse journalists 
journalists in particular, and so they cop a lot of it. And I have been really worried about the effect on them. I mean, it's really hard to be a journalist anyway, and and nobody goes into journalism for the money, that's for sure. Um, But I've become increasingly worried that it will be another big reason for young women to bow out of journalism. So that's what's been motivating me to how do we create a safe space where women can do their work. This is a big question, Anna, but have you thought about why misogyny? Like, of all the things, like, why is it at this point that misogyny is becoming so extreme? And the C word, right? Like, it's kind of inbuilt that that's a misogynist slur. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we have a relatively young female Prime Minister. Um, And in fact, just to go back a little bit, one big thing that pushed me over the line to spell out the C word in full that Friday night was it was that same night that there were images circulating that calendar girls had put out uh, showing Jacinda Ardern, her face superimposed on the body of a dominatrix. And this is just disgusting and reprehensible and I think has no place in our kind of, like, yes, there should be criticism, there should be robust debate, but no man is going to be subject to this kind of degrading treatment like she has been. So that was a big part of the reason I was like, enough. But I think a lot of it has has stemmed from the fact that we have a female, female prime minister and the fact that she has made a lot of really big decisions during her time in office due to the circumstances, right, that she has taken. I mean, I think lots of men would have made similar decisions, um, especially from her, like, part of the political spectrum in terms of lockdowns and mandates uh, and things like that. And we have seen men in other countries um, make these kinds of decisions. But the fact that she has made them here, I think, has upset lots of people. And that, like, Michelle, like you wrote at your piece at the weekend, the way people uh, treat her by... Um, derogatory names such as Cindy and things like that is all based on the fact that she's female and um, you know right down to the fact that you that old trope at the time about how outrageous it was for a woman to have a baby in office where nobody had that issue with Bill English when he had six of them so it's just that good old double standard. And it feels like it's, you know, I I think that's such a good question Kirsty asks about why now. But, you know, listening to you talk, Anna, it feels like it's always been there. Like this is always this sort of subterranean misogyny has always been around. I remember the things people said about Helen Clark and it was all so focalised around her appearance and around her voice. And, you know, super personal and physical in a way that men just didn't get in the same way. And now what you're saying with the Prime Minister is, you know, it's open and, and and it's vicious and it just feels like people don't like to be told what to do by a woman. Yeah, that's, I think that's right. But yes, obviously social media has enabled all of this. It has enabled all of these messages to spread like wildfire and under the cloak of anonymity. You know, these people don't need to say their own names uh, as they you know spread all of this hate and say these kinds of things. So that's really shielded them and emboldened them and the kind of various communities that have been able to form on an online forums um, 
I don't know enough about incel culture to comment to you on that. I mean, you know much more and much deeper into this kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think that's all feeding in together to create this really disgusting situation we find ourselves in now. Hey, Anna, can I ask, what was the reaction after the on the front page incident? You had a bit of a sleepless night and what did you wake up to? You know, it was astonishing. So I did expect lots of complaints, uh, either into the letters inbox of um, of the Dominion Post or to our customer service line, which is staffed on a Saturday. And, you know, it started with Joanna Kidman from Victoria University tweeting out saying that she applauded the decision and she tweeted out a picture of my little note because I was never going to write the word just by itself, right? It needed to be accompanied with an explanation. So I did write an editor's note embedded into that story to say, here is the reason why I we have made the decision to spell out this word. So it started with Joanna Kidman tweeting out that note and applauding it, and it kind of took off. There was a lot of support on Twitter, which I know is not real life, um, but still that tweet's now got more than 800 likes, which is not nothing. Um, but I got lots of messages on texts and in emails and things of people saying it was a bold and the right thing to do. Do you know what? I have had exactly zero complaints. Nothing to the customer service line, nothing to the letters, nothing in my own inbox. It is astounding to me that nobody has cancelled their paper or complained in any way about this. And I think that's partly a reflection of the fact I did explain why it is, but I think it's also partly a a reflection of the fact that people realise how out of control and how damaging for our society this has become and that it was um, the right thing to do to call it out and to say the word in, in full on that um, on that day. so I, I'm so impressed by that. I've worked in newspapers where they put stuff on the front that people didn't like and had like 100 people cancel their subscriptions. And next minute you're just like dropping C-bombs and it's fine. Yeah, I know, right? And some of the <laughs> other boundaries we've pushed and the apology to Māori that we did, Tamato Ponoi, lots of pushback, lots of cancellations. This one, nothing. Uh, it's really, yeah, surprising. Well, take that, trolls. <laughs> take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed. And even I got an email from Gavin Ellis, who used to be the um, uh, editor of the New Zealand Herald. He's now 75. And he said, like, he rocked back on his heels when he saw the lead uh, initially. <laughs> but then went, yeah. What an image. <laughs> I know, right? But then he uh, he read the note and he thought about it and he came around to thinking it was the right thing to do. And he wrote a very supportive, uh, he does media commentary, he wrote a very supportive column on his blog about it. So, um, so even if people like Gavin Ellis and that generation can support it, I think that tells us a lot about where we're at. He did also make the point, he asked me whether only a woman editor could do this. Interesting, yeah. And I think the I mean, I've only ever been a woman editor, so I don't know <laughs> uh, what the counterfactual is there. But I think probably yes is the answer. Or, or maybe it's only a woman editor or more likely that a woman editor would think to do it and to spell it out and to push that boundary. And I think it's more powerful, isn't it? Like it's what I love about you as the editor spelling it out is that it works on a couple of levels. You know, like the word itself, like Kirsty was saying, inherently misogynist and how 
powerfully that conveys what people like Anita Baker are up against, you know, what she's getting in her day to day. But it had to be you to make the decision to do it, I guess. Yeah, I mean... I also bring my own lived experience to work, right? So, yeah, I think that that it all fed into this decision and what to do. And, I mean, interestingly, just to pick up on what Michelle said earlier, which was the actual C word out loud and full, um, (laughs) I think, you know, I've had a number of conversations with various wahine toa around town this week, and um, one very senior woman in the public eye said to me, you know, we were talking about the feminist reclamation of this word, and she said to me, and actually I did, I came back to the newsroom and said, I've decided to say out loud from now on. And I said it and everyone was like, (gasps) like that. But she told me the etymology of the word vagina is actually like sheath or scabbard. It's like something that goes over something else. Um, And that the word has a sense of sovereignty about it and that it derives from the same word as country uh, way back when. Um, I haven't, I've checked the vagina part, I haven't checked the other part, Um, but I think, I mean, it's like there is a sense of power even in discovering the etymology of these words and making a conscious decision to to say it out loud, even when it shocks me coming out of my own mouth. There sure is. It's kind of interesting that having you use it in the on the front page of the newspaper in the way that you did, I actually found that empowering. Well, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. And I mean, it's a month before or maybe six weeks before I I would never have even thought of spelling out that word. But knowing what journalists like you, Kirsty and Michelle, have been through and seeing the emails that come into reporters in my newsroom, like with the rape threats and that C word bandied about all the time, like all of that has gone in and in hearing what Sarah Templeton had been able to do, all of that went into culminating in this decision. Anna sidled up to me in the newsroom on Friday and said the and said the word like in my um in my general sort of area. So I appreciated that and you know, I just anticipate that there'll be many more moments to share with you, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we'll always have that moment in the newsroom. <laughs> One more question, Anna. Do you see this as sort of coming from elsewhere? You know, this sort of widespread coarsening and and polarization of public discourse and, you know, the the sort of rivers of misogyny. Is this something you were aware of? I mean, you talk about reporting for an American organization in the Trump era. That's certainly when, you know, I started waking up to this in public discourse in shocking ways, you know, grab him by the pussy, all of this. I'd never heard that before from a presidential hopeful. And now suddenly here we are in New Zealand a couple of years later, a few years later, and it's here, you know, like this is this is the discussion we're having. Do you see that as something that, you know, has is is a global thing? Absolutely. And I think we've been quite naive in New Zealand and looking at what's happened in America and writing it off as, you know, America's own idiosyncrasies and the extremeness of their and their polarized society. But for us to think that there, you know, we thought that January the 6th couldn't happen here, but we've just been through a 23-day occupation at our parliament where people, you know, some of them were talking about overthrowing our democratically elected government. Um, the same thing, the grabbing by the pussy was a shocking remark from one person. But now that has become so much more 
that kind of rhetoric and language much more normalized and mainstream amongst a big section of American, uh, the American population. And we see some of that, you know, all arriving here as well. So I think we're incredibly naive if we think that that can't happen here in New Zealand because all of it is happening, maybe not to the same extent yet, but it is absolutely going on. So we need to have our eyes wide open and be on the alert and, and not allow that kind of stuff to happen here. Thank you, Anna. Thank you for you. Um, so that was Anna Fifield, the editor of the Dominion Post, and maybe my new personal hero and just inspo, I think. What about you guys? <laughs> See you next Tuesday, inspo. Yeah, that was awesome. I loved hearing that um, etymology. Is it etymology or entomology? I always get that wrong. Of the word, you know, the idea of this as a super powerful word. I'm taking that out of it. Oh yeah, I've just Googled it, by the way, while she was talking to see if she was right about it being linked to the word country. And I think that was like a Shakespeare adaptation. So, you know, it's still there. But um, yeah, it was also like a Hindu word. Just so much going on. I'd recommend to Google if you're out, if you feel like it. Amazing. What, what did you think, Michelle? I think that Personally, as a journalist, knowing that there's an editor out there who that this is the way that she thinks about what's going on at the moment is just super powerful. And, you know, I've had stories before that have been sort of picked apart or words that I haven't been able to use. And uh, the fact that she both understands and is really here to support, you know, young journalists and or any journalist, actually, uh, women and women of colour and the kind of abuse that we're facing, I, I, I think that's just a really good sign for our media and, yeah, democracy. It means a lot, actually, to hear that. And democracy. Mm. How good. Yeah, I chucked in and democracy in there. I just The C <laughs> word, just bringing back democracy, that's what I'm here for. The C word, good for democracy. Well, it is, right, because if we don't want to report anymore, you know, then voices are lost and then so are perspectives. Yeah, if women don't want to run for public office or, like, scientists don't want to speak out in public about stuff, then you're losing, exactly. like, a whole bunch of... Yeah, it's a chilling effect. Hopefully this podcast won't have a chilling effect. Hopefully it will have a liberating effect, an empowering effect. <laughs> just go off into your wardrobe or perhaps into a hallway if you're listening at some point this week and take a moment of quiet and maybe just whisper the word to yourself. That's our gift to you. God, it just sounds so nice coming out of your mouth, Noelle. I'm just, I'm sorry that we've had to bleep it for everyone else, <laughs> the listeners, but I can, I can report that it's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> a lovely We'll see you next week. Matewa. Bye. Bye. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, queenie, don't drop the ball. Tell Me About It is made for stuff by Bird of Paradise Productions. It was produced by me, Noelle McCartney, and written by me, Kirsty Johnston, and Michelle Duff. Our script supervisor is Eugene Bingham, and thanks to Janine Fenwick and Eugene for editorial oversight. Mixed by Mark Chesterman. And our theme tune is Queenie Queenie by Tammy Nielsen, our queen. You can like the podcast and leave a review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Tell Me About It is made possible by funding from New Zealand On Air. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Queenie, Queenie, don't drop the ball. Down come baby cradling off.